vision that we have as, as a church of, of San Diego. And today we're going to be talking about being a city of refuge. So if you would please um, stand with me as we look at Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read 25 through 30. But the, the sermon is really based off of verse 28 through 30. But I, I felt it appropriate to read since this text we're going to be looking at is coming in the middle of, of a, 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 a words that Jesus is saying. So please listen as, as I'm just a speaker, but God is, is speaking to us. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, I pray as, as your word goes out, that you would remind us, Lord, and show us how gracious and loving you are through your son, Jesus. Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged, that our eyes would be lifted up to you, and that you would be glorified. In the name of Christ and for his sake we pray, amen. Well, in about a week from now, actually a week from today, uh, is the annual Oscars ceremony, the 2019 Oscars ceremony. Some of you may be well aware of that and are already placing your votes as who is going to win uh, the various awards, but for any of you who don't know, the Oscars is um, an annual ceremony that is, is put on for people in film in Hollywood, where they award uh, people for being the best actor, best actress, what's the best picture, best director, there's a host of other awards. And it may be, it's, it's safe to say, it's one of the biggest award ceremonies of our culture. I mean, this is, this is a huge deal if you're in Hollywood. There's a red carpet, everyone wears their best attire, there's pictures and, and, and stories will be written out and sub-stories about who wore the best dress and who wore the worst dress and, and all of these, this talk and and attention is going to be given to this event. But it's an exclusive event. You know, you and I can't just simply show up and expect to sit next to Matt Damon or Leonardo DiCaprio or Julia Roberts unless we're specifically invited or we have a reason to be there. You know, it's an exclusive one. So you and I can watch from afar, maybe from our TV. We might be able to buy tickets to, to sit in the audience and observe, but it's from a distance. It's an exclusive event. And I was thinking about that as we're looking at our passage because we know as, as believers we trust in Jesus. We know that we're sinners and we're broken and we need his grace. And we come, come to worship, but oftentimes we look at the church and we look at our relationship with the Lord with this lens thinking that we need to do something to be here. 
We need to either fit a certain mold, and there's all sorts of, of things and categories that can go through our mind, maybe fit a particular personality or a particular culture, maybe have our life put together in some way, emotionally stable. There's all sorts of reasons that we have that feel like we need to fit or contribute to be here, to be in God's presence. And when we think in that way, really two groups are created. There are those people that feel like, I have contributed to be here. I have done enough. I've served the church. I've, I've given my time, my resources, my energy. I fit a particular mold or whatever that is. And then there are the other people that feel like they don't belong. They're not a part of the group. They don't fit. They don't meet the expectation. And so really you have, in a sense, an award ceremony. Those who, who fit the part belong. But those who don't, for whatever reason, are watching from the outside, wishing they could be a part of it, wanting to be a part of it, trying to be a part of it, but just for whatever reason don't fit in. You know, we as a church want to be a place of refuge, a place of comfort, and a place of, of, of love and grace to those who are broken. That's something we want to maintain and, and do as a community, but oftentimes we're faced with these, these filters and ideas of, of performance that affect how we see one another. In this passage, we, we see that as a church, as Respres, we want to be a city of refuge to those burdened by the world, the church, and the law of God, because Christ promises a place of rest to those who come to him in their brokenness. Let me say that again. This is the main idea. As Respres, we want to be a city of refuge to those burdened by the world, the church, and the law of God. Because Christ promises a place of rest to those who come to him in their brokenness. There's really just two things I want to look at. First is the citizens of that city, who are the people that Christ calls to himself. And second is the promise of rest. So who are the, the, who are the citizens of that city of refuge? And that, what is that promise of rest that he gives us? Now, this conversation comes in the middle of, of, of really kind of a, a sobering and intense uh, conflict that Jesus has with a particular group of people. You know, that uh, just before this in, this, in this text, he pronounces these woes and curses on, on these cities that he had done much of his ministry, uh, performing miracles and signs and wonders and teachings. And yet they didn't believe. There wasn't a lot of conversion. So he, he pronounces these really sobering and, 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 um, and really um, weighty curses on these cities. You know, I was thinking about it. It's interesting. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, because at times we think like we need to perform and, and, and do certain things in order to earn God's favor. We might rewrite the story if we were really writing the story of the Gospels. We might expect a different group of people to be the ones who follow Jesus. I mean, think about it. You know, we know, and there's this group called the Pharisees, and these are really the people that, that Christ is going to be in conflict with, and we'll see in this text. You know, the Pharisees were a subset of the Jewish people, and these were guys who had the law of God memorized. I mean, you can ask them on the fly to quote a certain passage or text, and they can just give you an entire 
chapter from memory. And these guys had it in their memory from hours and hours and hours of studying. And, and not only that, but practicing. These guys practiced the law so meticulously that they even added on top of that extra laws. They feel, felt like, well, we just want to be safe. We just want to cross our T's, dot our I's, make sure we're pleasing to the Lord. So we're going to add to God's law. We might expect Jesus to come and say, you know what, guys, you're, you're close. Maybe a little bit of an adjustment. Maybe we can just tweak a few things here, a little bit of a makeover. Um, and we, you, you guys can be my front men. You guys can be the ones who, who lead the way. I mean, you're almost there, but, but not quite. But the reality is that these men couldn't be further from the Lord. That these men are depending on their works and depending on their keeping of God's law in order to earn his favor. So Jesus, instead of, instead of siding with them, he actually calls them out and actually opens. You know, if you look at Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he shows them that it's not just external practice. It's actually inside in your heart that separates you from the Lord. The sins that you commit inside of you that creates this chasm of the, uh, from the Lord. And so here in this text, we see it's, it's really a climax of, of Matthew, as scholars say, you know, we see a behind-the-scenes look at why Jesus is there, who he is in his person, and who he's come to reach. And really, we'll see the people he's come to reach are not the put-together, not the ones who can fit the mold or can earn God's favor, but it's the broken. It's the weary. It's the, it's the people that are just burdened by the world, by uh, the religious community and the law. So first, he, what, who are the citizens? Who are the people of that city? It's the people who are, who are burdened. So we, we, we talk about the Pharisees, and really what Jesus is doing is he's, he's calling to people who feel that burden that's actually been put onto them by the Pharisees. You know, later in Matthew, in Matthew 23, verse 4, it says, Jesus says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. You know, he's telling, he's, he's telling them that these men who, who think that they can practice God's law and earn his favor actually burdening other people, and people are feeling the, the weight and, and anxiety and fear because they realize and know that as much as they try, as much as they, they, they put in to try to earn God's favor, they can't. And so they're, instead of told how gracious God is and how loving he is, they're just constantly told to do more, to try harder, keep going. They're not even willing to, to carry their burdens. So these people just are weighed down by this pressure and expectation. One theologian writes that these people were haunted by uncertainty and fear. And think of that. Just un, you just don't know if at the end of the day you're going to be loved by God because it's based on your works. It's based on how you contribute to this life. So it's, it just leaves us terrified and uncertain. These are the people that Christ calls to himself, though. 
And we see him, him practicing this. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. Matthew, uh, in verse 19 of, of chapter 11, it, it's, he's actually uh, criticized for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. These were people that were the social outcasts. These were the people that were rejected by society. In Matthew 9, 12 through 13, he says, I have come for the sick, not the well. Jesus is clear. He, he's, he's coming for the people who need mercy, who need his grace and are aware of that. It was the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the broken, the social outcast, the lame, the blind, the poor, the beggars. Those are the people that Jesus especially reached out to. And these are the kinds of people that, that we want to reach out to as, as a community, as a church. Those who are, who are burdened by the church, by the world, and by the law of God. First, those who are burdened by the church. You know, we understand that we live in a fallen world. And because of that, you know, the, the church of God is made up of, of people, of you and I. But we're sinners. You know, we, we fail uh, to obey God's commands perfectly. And because of that, because of our sin, even in the ministry of the church, there can be pain and burden inflicted on other people. And when I do say church, I'm not saying that those churches out there, we're included in that. You know, we as, as a church are part of that. We're all sinners and we're all learning and growing together. But because of that, we can inflict pain and, and, and hurt and burdens on one another. Maybe it's in, in teaching and, and preaching. You know, there's, there, there are many ways of teaching where people are told how to be a better Christian, what are the five steps to be a better husband, a wife, a friend, a single person. You know, there's all sorts of, of series of what does scripture say about practicing this or that. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves. I mean, scripture is very clear on how we're supposed to live as Christians. And those are things we're supposed to be calling one another to. But if we just preach that, if we just tell each other how to be a better Person, how to be a better follower of Jesus without telling people and reminding people of the love of God, of God's acceptance and grace and care for you in the midst of your stumbling, in the midst of your failure, in the midst of your inability to be the best husband or the best wife or the best friend or the best co-worker. In all of that, God is still gracious. So if we teach this without teaching the gospel... People feel burdened and weighed down and realizing their inability to do these things perfectly. So it feels like an upward battle to people. Maybe in practice, you know, some churches place unsustainable expectations on each other. You know, this pressure to serve, this pressure to, to give your time and resources and effort. Again, not that that's, that's bad, but if it's given without care and concern and love and, and support that we're supposed to give one another, people can feel burnt out and just weighed with all these pressures and expectations. You know, if you're a Christian, you should do these things. You should serve the church more. You should be on the worship team. You should tithe and, and, and give more to the church. You know, there's all sorts of pressures we can give to one another without that care and love and support. And so people feel burnt out. 
There might be a, a, a culture created by the church. Again, a particular group of people is attracted, a particular kind of person. And so people might feel ostracized or out of the loop. And again, our church isn't free from that. And I feel like there's been times and moments where a church plant, we're growing and we're learning that we ourselves have, have committed some of these things. So we're not saying that we're better than any other church or every other church, but there's an attitude of humility that needs to, to come with this. But we still want to be that place that if people are burdened and hurt by their church experience, where they can find that rest and comfort. And then there are those people who are burdened by the world. You know, as we've been uh, learning in our Sunday school, uh, I remember last week, uh, Rob did this great job of talking about where we are now as a culture. And really where people are at in the Western world is this idea that what's real and true is what you make of life. Whatever, whatever thing you pursue. If it makes you happy, if it makes you uh, feel um, good, if it brings you peace, then please pour everything you want into it. And you'll achieve that. You'll feel that sense of, of peace and happiness. But the problem is that those things people pursue at the end of the day don't deliver on that promise. They can't bring that true satisfaction. People do this by, by self-expression. They, they try to transform themselves, whether it's through health and, and going to the gym or to yoga, or to literally transform their bodies in a way that makes them feel like it's the true expression of themselves and they can feel accepted by the world and feel at peace. Maybe it's materialism, you know, the pursuit of stuff. You know, this, this one thing, this, this iPhone will give me that, that true sense of happiness. These clothes will, will make me feel accepted. This car will, will give me that sense of peace. But all these things are just empty promises, and so we know people are just feeling weighed down and burdened by these things, and we want to be a place of rest and comfort for them. And we live in a performance-driven world. I mean, you know, this idea that you need to to do something in, or, in order to earn people's favor, whether it's your coworkers or your your uh, boss. You know, this is what makes Instagram and Facebook so successful, because people have an opportunity to create their lives in a way where they'll be accepted. They put all this effort and attention to be accepted by the world, to find a sense of peace with the right angle, with the right lighting, with the right camera lens, or with the right filter. My life can look good. And so people are tired. And then the greatest burden that, that, that we know is, is the burden of the law, burden of God's law. You know, we heard earlier in our service, just when God gives his law to us, at the end of the day, we look at our lives and say, I can't. I can't do this perfectly. I can't fulfill this perfect standard of, of righteousness that God has for us. And so there's that fear and anxiety and shame that can, can set in and burden us because we're aware of our sin. We're aware of our inability to obey God perfectly. But these are the people that Jesus calls to himself. And these are the people that you and I fit. This isn't just about the people out there. This starts with us, friends. Understanding and being aware of our own brokenness and our own burdens and sins. 
Maybe you're weary from your, your own struggle with sin. You know, the, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much prayer you give into it, the, the growth just seems either stagnant or barely there. Maybe you're, you're unable to meet the standards you put on yourself, whatever that looks like, or the standards you feel from other people. You know, you put all this time to try to please and try to earn people's acceptance, but still there's that one person that criticizes you. There's that one person that just pushes it all out. All that effort goes out the window with that one critical remark. When you know you failed as a parent or a spouse or a friend, and you feel the weight of that, and you feel the, the just burden of, of that, or you're still carrying the wounds placed on you by your family, your friends, or even fellow Christians. You're just constantly triggered by that event. Now we know, we know these things to be true, that God, God accepts us, but still at times we, we look at the church at the, with this filter and thinking that I need, to, I need to put my life together before showing up. I need to act a certain way or have my, my ducks in a row or be emotionally stable or, or whatever. We have all these standards we put on ourselves before coming into the presence of God. Or, you know, we allow our shame to keep us from coming or because we think that we've done enough, that we've contributed in some way. You know, of course, God would accept me. Of course I would be a part of this church. You know, these people should know how much they need me or need my gifts and services and need my uh, ability to, to help and to minister. You know, we can let the pride set in and see others as beneath us. See others as smaller than us. See others as ministry projects. They need me. Of course they do. Wherever you fall, Jesus calls all of us to come to him with our brokenness and with our burdens. He doesn't say, come to me all who are put together, who need just a little work, who are almost there, who are doing pretty well. He calls those who are just burdened and heavy laden, people that are broken, calls you and me. Now, if you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you know, you, 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 you've heard of some of these things, you, you, you might know the gospel story, but you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Friend, that call goes to you. That call to come and, and bring your burdens to the Lord. No matter how messy or how how horrendous in your eyes whatever you've done that call goes out to you and with that Jesus promises us rest this comes into the second point the promise of rest first it it, it happens with giving our burdens to the Lord you know we come to him with our burdens but what happens next you know Jesus calls us, and this call is exclusive, 
meaning that he calls us to himself. He doesn't call us to something else or a teaching he has. I mean, look at how Jesus speaks of, of this. He, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And for my yoke is easy and my burden light. You know, Jesus is, is calling us to himself. So he's not calling us to, to hold on to our burdens, to hold on to, to that shame and, and sin that we struggle with or the pain that we feel. He calls us to, to lay that burden on himself. And the beautiful thing that he does is he, he takes that burden. He takes that burden from us. You know, it's interesting. He says, take my yoke upon you. You know, at first glance, it's like, wait, wait, wait. You were just talking about we're burdened and we're heavy laden. And now you're talking about another burden. Now you're talking about another yoke. You know, are you just adding on to the difficult and, and, and hard life that I'm already experiencing? That's not what Jesus means. He's not, he's not talking about an, an additional burden, but a new yoke. And what that is, is the awareness and understanding of what he's done for us. It starts with understanding that Jesus has taken that burden and that fear and anxiety and pain. And he's crucified that on the cross. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So first, Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, no matter how bad or how horrendous or how messy it seems to us. If you are trusting in Jesus, he's forgiven that. It's gone. It's nailed to the cross. But in addition to that, he says... He continues, uh, it says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, them over, uh, triumphing over them in him. Friends, what that means is when he says he's canceled the record of debt that stood against us, that's the law. That's the, that's the law that you and I were unable to fulfill. That record of debt, he's canceled it. He's, he's taken that penalty upon himself and instead given us his perfect record of righteousness so that when God sees us, when the Father sees us, he sees us as he sees his son. He sees us with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. No matter what we've done, no matter what no matter how bad we've gotten, he sees perfect righteousness of Jesus. But not only that, so he's put, he, he, he's, he's put those legal demands and he's taken the penalty upon himself for what Paul means. And he says he's disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. What he's saying there is, are those accusers, whether it's our own hearts or Satan or the world, that accuse us that you're not enough, that you need to do more, that you need to put your acts together before coming before him. He's taken that and he's nailed it to the cross. And he's put those things that are trying to shame you and me, and he's put them to shame. 
He's put those accusations to shame so that when you and I come before the Lord, we can know that we come with the full acceptance of the Father. That's because of Jesus. So we've given our burden to the Lord and now he's given us his yoke of joy and gladness and now we can follow him with, with the joy and thankfulness for the grace that we've received. That's what it means to put on the yoke is to remove this idea of, of, of shame and a need to perform and instead understand of the grace that God has given to us. And so then, after taking our burden, he promises to give us rest. You know, we as uh, 2019 uh, modern Christians, we understand the concept of rest, rest so I think this, this translates, but to the Jewish person of that time, they were thinking of all of these promises and practices that they had been doing and had been started all the way at the beginning of creation. You know, all the way back in Genesis, when God created the, the world, everything that exists, it says on the seventh day he rested. He rested from his work. Now, it wasn't just, just because that, that God did that. He did it for a particular purpose. And then he, he gives us in his law, in Exodus 20, verse 8, in the fourth commandment, there's the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. So as a Jew, you were to to every six days work, but then the seventh day, the Sabbath day, you're to rest. You're to rest from your work. But the reason that was is God was showing and reminding them that there was a work that needed to be done before the rest. A work had to be accomplished before the promise of rest to be fulfilled. And the author of Hebrews takes this and says that there's one, that whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. We know, friends, that that is Jesus, that Christ performed the work on our behalf, and through him, we have that promised rest. Through his work, we have that uh, rest to come. Now, it's interesting, he says, I will give you rest, but what does that look like? You know, we're still struggling with sin. You know, as soon as we get out those doors, we're going to be bombarded with all of these empty promises. We're going to be bombarded with our struggle with sin. We're going to be bombarded with all the, the, the things that we have to accomplish. We're going to be bombarded with, with the reality of death. That doesn't sound restful. That doesn't sound peaceful. That sounds hard. So what does it mean? What does he mean when he says, you can find rest? Well, there's an element of, of rest that we can experience now, and we'll talk about in a moment, but really what this is talking about is that final rest that you and I will experience. You know, even in the call, we'll talk about that new Jerusalem that's going to be ushered in, that new heavens and new earth. What's that talking about is when Christ comes and he rids this world of all sin, death, and decay and brings in and ushers in the new kingdom. Well, there'll be no pain, there'll be no death, there'll be no sin, there'll be no struggle. It'll be total rest. That's what is for us who are believing in Jesus, friends. That's, that promise is for us and it's coming. But until then, we wait. You know, as I was reminded of a scene in, in Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and I'll admit that this, uh, 
this scene is not in the book. So all my Tolkien fanatics, <laughs> take a second. <laughs> uh, Peter Jackson took the liberty to create this scene. He did take it from, from other portions of the book, but he made this conversation between Pippin and Gandalf. It's in the, the Return of the King. Uh, Sauron has been trying to lay waste to Middle-earth and conquer it, and so he's, he's at the city of Gondor, the last city of men, and uh, is, is winning the battle. Uh, and so there's just really this moment of a last stand. Uh, Gandalf and Pippin and a few of the survivors are in this little little nook with just a door that's separating them from the enemy, and there's this troll that's just banging on the door. And so it's, it's like this, you're, this moment of like, this is it. Like, this is, this is it for them. And so Pippin, you can just see in his eyes, he's so scared. He looks at Gandalf and he says, I didn't think it, it would end this way. And Gandalf says, end? No. No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. And Pippin's like, what, Gandalf? See what? Gandalf says, white shores and beyond. A far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. Gandalf says, no. No, it isn't. You know, it's a really moving scene. You watch it and you're almost transported to this other world in the midst of this chaos and death around them. They have this moment of hope, this moment of realizing and understanding that this isn't the end. This isn't it. As the promises of the world try to, try to tell us that whatever this world offers is it. So make the most of it. Friends, we know that this isn't it. That there's a joy and an everlasting time of rest that's for us. That's coming. It's real. And it's far greater than Tolkien could ever describe it. And we want to be a church that models this kind of rest to all people. So every part of our worship, every part of our church, everything that we do, we try to, to keep that idea of the city of refuge in mind. In worship, the shape of our liturgy it, it is very intentional. You know, we have the call where God calls us into his presence. We have the, the reminder of our own sin and, and the giving of the law. And then we have the, the giving of the gospel where the minister pronounces to us, where Rob declares to us God's forgiveness. It's my favorite part of the service because it's just, you just hear of God's love and grace for us despite all of our brokenness and messiness. And then we praise him for what he's done and we, we hear in the sermon more of his grace and, and mercy for us. And then we take and eat of the sacraments. And, and Rob and Joel, as you'll hear in a moment, will call us and friends, what's really happening there, literally Jesus through them is calling us to come. Is calling us to come and take and eat and find rest in his body and blood and find that nourishment, nourishment and peace and the, the just administration of his grace to us. 
but even also in our community life, in our community groups. We want to foster places of safety and of acceptance. You know, in Galatians 6, 2, Paul, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. That's why we want to create uh, community groups and we constantly remind um, all of us of, of our community group ministry in a place where all of us can come and, and feel that sense of acceptance and love and care and, and bearing one another's burdens. So I'd like to encourage you, if, if, if that's something that you're able to do, I understand some of us just have circumstances in our lives that we can't control, and so we're busy. So this isn't a guilt trip. This isn't trying to shame you. But if this is something that you can contribute and come to to help bear one another's burdens and share the burdens that you have with one another to support and care for each other, that's the purpose of, of those groups. There's a sign-up sheet in, in the back. Um, if you, if you want to take a moment, uh, fill it out. One of us will contact you to, to talk about that. Or you can talk to me after the service, but I encourage you, if that's something that you can put into your calendar in your week, a chance to, to encourage one another, I'd, I'd really encourage you to do that. That's what we want to do. And even in our mercy ministries, you know, we've partnered with, with Ladle, uh, First Pres's homeless ministry, even just a couple of hours after the service, they're going to be feeding literally hundreds of homeless people. You know, an opportunity to really, literally reach the disenfranchised and socially rejected people of San Diego. And then on Wednesday nights, there's, there's an opportunity to come and there's discipleship and a chance to really get to know the members there. If that's something that you can contribute to, you and your spouse, if you're married or your family or, or just you if you're single, if that's something that you can commit to, we, we would encourage you to do that. It's a great opportunity to be that care and, and welcoming and that the hands of and feet of Jesus to the people that are broken. And really, this is a sense of encouragement uh, to you all, because a lot of you are already doing this. A lot of you are already, by your own life and growth in Christ, by what Jesus has done for you and in you, you're using your experience and the wisdom and the understanding of God's grace for you, and you're giving that to one another, and you're sharing that with each other, and you're carrying one another's burdens, and you're opening your homes, and you're you're inviting people in, and you're welcoming people. You know, that was what drew me into this church. You know, when I came on Friday nights with, with some of you who are still still here, you know, we crammed into Rob's uh, living room, all these people that were broken and, and in need of grace, and we're just hungry and thirsty for God's grace, and just created this environment of welcome and of, and of acceptance, despite where you come from, despite your struggles. And so as we grow, it's just a matter of, of encouraging one another to keep, to keep doing that, to keep creating spaces and time and places where you can accept and show that love to the people that God brings through these doors. Because as we grow, that's just going to take more work to maintain. You know, more people are going to come in with more struggles and more problems and more opportunities for us to, to continue to wrap our arms around each other and care for one another as Christ has done for us. So as we go out into the world and are faced with all the empty promises that, that it gives to us, and are reminded either by our own hearts of our own sin and the shame and, 
and anxiety starts to set in, remember, friends, that if you're trusting in Jesus, you're accepted by God. You're loved by Him and totally forgiven. And you will experience, once and for all, a place of rest in Him. And let us create and continue to to work to create that kind of environment for others. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as broken. We come to you in need of your grace. And the beauty of that is, is that you have poured out your grace on us through your Son. That your Son has come and you met us where we are in all of our brokenness and sin. And instead of condemning us, took that burden upon himself and suffered the penalty. And now we have the the full benefits and acceptance of you. So we pray, Lord, as we go, and God, if you will, we grow, that you would continue to foster in us a, a place of rest and of refuge for those who are hurting, for those who are broken, and that we ourselves would experience that. We pray all of this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.